This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome to America's Voice for Energy. I'm Marita Noon, Executive Director of Energy Makes America Great and the companion educational organization, the Citizens Alliance for Responsible Energy. Each week through America's Voice for Energy, I have the opportunity to interview the experts who helped me with the content of that that particular week's column. This week we've got a great show lined up for you. We're going to it's fascinating conversation and uh, we're going to be talking specifically about the clean power plan and the EPA's uh regulations on the electricity generating sector and how that impacts America and Americans. When I started writing this week's column, I did a lot of research, and one of the pieces I found that was the most helpful to me was a piece from the Brookings Institute, and it was titled, The Confounding Complexities of the Clean Power Plan, Reliability Concerns Aired at FERC. And it was written by Philip Wallach, and he is the... uh, He's a fellow with the Brookings Institute in Governance Studies. His bio also says, says he is the author of the upcoming book, To the Edge, Legality, Legitimacy, and the Responses to the Financial Crisis of 2008. So I'm sure that's something that you'll want to check out as well. But today, I've got Philip Wallace with, with us on the air, and we're going to be talking with him about the Clean Power Plan, the overview of it, where it's going, and uh, kind of the political ramifications of President Obama's clean power plan, which is the controversial centerpiece of his climate change legacy. So, Philip, I'm delighted to have you with us today on America's Voice for Energy. Great to be with you, Marita. So tell us, you're in your piece that I read, uh, you were telling about attending a meeting at the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission uh, where they were talking about uh, the technical problems of the Obama administration's po- policies. Tell us about that. Well, the EPA has one mandate that it's trying to pursue by regulating greenhouse gases coming out of America's power plants, um, and, and that is to, to get at the problem of climate change. Um, but, you know, FERC, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, has a different mandate, which is to ensure the reliability of electricity delivery in this country, and there's clearly some tensions that are shaping up uh, between those two missions as the EPA uh, gets ready to put into place this ambitious new regulation governing all of the existing power plants uh, across the country. And so what I saw at that meeting in February uh, at FERC was regulators and uh power industry representatives from all over the country who are worried about their ability to just logistically handle the demands of this clean power plan that the EPA is about to promulgate uh, in, a, in a timely manner that will allow them to both comply with the law and keep power delivery, delivery reliable. 
um, without any without any brownouts, you know, that would be a real nightmare for the American economy. Yeah, I think FERC's concern with this should be really alarming uh, to all Americans uh, because. You, I mean, I've been talking about the the clean power plan, about green energy, and all of these things, and the reliability issues. That, and uh, the green energy supporters basically, you know, poo-poo um, any of us that, that question whether this whole transition might work. But uh, the 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 concerns that FERC has, and uh, and and others should be should be really alarming to people. Were you alarmed? Yeah, I think the you know the optimistic view from the from the EPA's point of view is yes, this really is very complicated, but we're going to learn about all these complications and work it through the system, and it'll take it'll take a while, but it'll come out all right. But I I agree with you. There there's certainly reasons to doubt whether there's really the capacity to do that, um, especially. Given the timescales involved, um, and, and I think it's not just a matter of partisan resistance to this initiative by any means. It's the people who are charged with all the technical details on the ground are saying, "Hey, wait a minute! We're not sure that this is all going to work out so smoothly, and we need you to be a little less um, casual in your assumption that it, that it somehow will all work out all right." Yeah, yeah, you know, in my column this week, I I um, detail in some length, but not completely, uh, what happened in my home state of New Mexico over just one little rule, and they've been working on trying to get this rule through, and it has to do with visibility, a haze, uh, the regional uh, visibility rule of the Clean Air Act. They've been working on this for more than a decade, and we still don't have resolution on it. And so in our next two segments, we're going to be talking with a couple uh, folks from New Mexico who will address that more specifically, but when I looked at when I really went through what's happened with this one rule in New Mexico, I was struck with, as you said in your column, and I quote you frequently, your line about when you look at the, you say in your column, the interplay of federal laws set off by the Clean Power Plan is enough to make one's head spin. And I used your line, makes your head spin frequently, but I think when I look at what has happened in New Mexico with just this one law, I think that's an extreme understatement. Well, a couple things to say about that. First, uh, as you you emphasize, you know, there's all these other environmental rules that are in place that states and power companies trying to think about complying with the clean power plan have to deal with. They don't just disappear. And that and a lot of times when you're thinking about what a what an individual plant has to do to comply or what kind of new infrastructure development might be needed, those uh, you're gonna run into a lot of regulatory requirements on, on both of those fronts. So that's gonna be very complicated and doesn't always seem to be appreciated in the proposed version of the rule. I mean, the, the one thing to say, I guess, is that there is a lot of flexibility built into this rule, and the way that the EPA conceives of it is that states will be responsible for actually determining 
the on-the-ground content of the rules under the clean power plant. So they've set a target in terms of carbon intensity that every state has to hit. But it'll be up to New Mexico's environmental regulators and every state's environmental regulators uh, if they choose to take on that responsibility to actually determine what the rules will be. So at least hypothetically, they could do so in a much less intrusive way than something like the uh, the regional haze rules that you were talking about would require. But it's not clear um, whether they'll be able to use that flexibility in practice in ways that, that make this rule um, less less invasive. Well, I mean, I think that when you look at the New Mexico story, I mean, am I correct, Philip, in that once states have this supposed flexibility, they're still going to have to have the EPA's approval on those plans. Is that correct? Absolutely. Um, and it's one of the one of the criticisms that I would make of the proposed version of the Clean Power Plan is that it's not always very easy to understand what the EPA would accept as as an as a plan that satisfies all their criteria, um, which is going to make it a little bit you know hard for states to lock in one plan into place that will give them certainty over the years to come. Um, if, if EPA doesn't do a good job of really clarifying exactly what what's acceptable and what's not. Yeah, and you bring up in your piece an interesting thing that I hadn't thought of, and uh, this is what you call the cacophony, cacophony of legal requirements. You talk about that you know not all, this is not a standalone rule that these these power plants still have to deal with uh, NEPA, the Endangered Species Act, uh, expanded. Imp- imp- interpretation of the Clean Water Act and a wide variety of corresponding laws in the states make that make getting new construction approved difficult. And you point out that it can take a remarkable 12 to 14 years just to get a new high voltage line uh, cited. And, and you know this is that's a much smaller scale project than what we're talking about when we're talking about totally transforming the electricity generation sector. Right. I mean, I think one thing you could say in EPA's defense, you know, the power industry is changing, and in some ways what what the EPA is hoping to do through this rule is to just accelerate some changes that are already in the works. So that, in large part, means shifting to natural gas away from coal because that's a lot less carbon-intensive, and it means promoting uh, you know, aggressively promoting the growth of renewables, which, especially out west in states like New Mexico, is already is already happening a good amount. The EPA just wants to speed things up. So, uh, I I do think, you know, depending on how each state um, manages to offer an implementation plan that the EPA can accept, that, that they may turn out to be very consequential, but. But for some states, it's a matter of just speeding up a trend that they're already on rather than totally uh, changing direction. Yeah, but Philip, and my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that those states that have already kind of 
begun this transformation, this energy transformation, under the clean power plan, at least what we understand of the clean power plan at this point, actually get kind of penalized for that. That's absolutely right. It's, I, I, I've written a piece uh, in the Washington Post wonk blog that talks about how the states that have done the least in terms of making themselves uh, less less carbon intensive already have the least asked of them by this plan. And in some ways, it seems like EPA is accommodating itself um, to the realities, the political realities on the ground. And whether you think that's a good idea or not is is very much debatable. But it's definitely true that the more the more you've invested in renewables already, the more EPA expects you to do in most instances. Yeah, and you know, one it, of the things I've talked go, about. Go ahead. Uh, well, one of the things I've talked about in in general is just having fifty different targets for every different state really is, creates a lot of perceptions of unfairness, um, and that's one of the things you're going to see driving complaints about the clean power plan after it's finalized this summer. Yeah, we've just got about twenty seconds left, Philip. Uh, you know, what do you think politically is going to happen with this? I know this isn't too big a question for the amount of time. It's going to be a, a, quite a battle royale, I think, is safe to predict. And uh, it's, it's really going to be interesting for, for us political observers, uh, but, but very uncertain for those who are regulated uh, in this part of the economy. Yeah, it's going to be fun to watch, that's for sure. Philip Wallach, a fellow in governance studies with the Brookings Institute, thanks for joining us today on America's Voice for Energy. We'll be right back. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. This is Daryl Pullis inviting you to listen to America's Homegrown Veggie Show right here every Saturday morning at 10 Eastern Time. Great guests, great tips, and valuable information about growing your own vegetables, fruits, and herbs. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to America's Voice for Energy. This week we're discussing, on the broad scale, the Clean Power Plan, Obama's controversial centerpiece of his climate change legislation that's expected to be finalized this summer. But in talking about the Clean Power Plan, uh, in my column this week that you can find on Breitbart.com and many other sites, I address a really complicated story uh, that I hope I've presented in a way the average person can understand. 
of what has happened in my home state, the state of New Mexico, where we have spent more than a decade just trying to implement one little rule that is part of the, uh, the Clean Air Act. And we're talking about the visibility rule and a regional visibility rule and how that impacts the San Juan Generating Station in New Mexico's Four Corners area. Today on America's Voice for Energy, I'm pleased to have with me Paul Guessing, the president of the Rio Grande Foundation, New Mexico's free market think tank. And Paul has been following this issue in New Mexico for several years. So, Paul, I'm delighted to have you with us today and appreciate you lending us your expertise on this subject. Thank you, Marita. Happy to be a part of it. So what do you see as you know, the biggest issue for the state of New Mexico on uh, this, this entire um, back and forth that's been going on? Well, uh, there's so many policies that have been enacted both in Washington and at the state level that are impacting rate uh, payers and uh, overall, the economy of the state of New Mexico, by driving up electricity prices, that it's really uh, this whole situation uh, is just getting out of control when it comes to the ever-increasing price of electricity. There was a time not too long ago, just a decade or so ago, when electricity prices were gradually declining over time, and now... Uh, in the wake of New Mexico's adoption of renewable portfolio standard and then uh, Washington also getting into uh, the manipulation of uh, electricity rates and sources, uh, those prices have jumped up quite dramatically. Yeah, and I understand I've talked to uh, my friend Pat Lyons, one of the public regulatory commissioners, and he has affirmed my assumption that uh, the majority of the recent increases are due to these various green initiatives. And certainly this, this, uh, the regional visibility rule that the EPA is pushing on uh, the San Juan Generating Station is certainly going to raise prices even more. You're absolutely right. It's just uh, uh, a myriad policies have come together in the last decade or so, and the Hayes uh, rule uh, that the Obama administration is attempting to oppose uh, circumventing uh, rules about uh, states having final authority over their uh, utility uh, regulations, uh, just the, the avalanche of regulations is just, it's going to really uh, impact not only the price, but potentially the reliability of uh, state electric grids. And uh, New Mexico is, is definitely in the crossfire, not just through the haze, uh, regulation, but uh, it, through uh, a variety of federal and state regulations. Yeah, in my column, I, I kind of chronicled the, as I call it, the decade-plus negotiations, although the bulk of them have uh, been happening over the last 
five years as the New Mexico Environment Department has submitted a plan. The EPA hasn't approved it. It's gone back and forth and back and forth. And uh, I, as I say in my column, it really it just makes your head spin to realize that this, all of this, what I outline in my column, is just over one rule. And then, as you just pointed out, there, there's, there's myriad additional rules coming that have come down or are still coming down the pike that are increasing costs. And as a, the, part of the solution in New Mexico to this uh, is to shut down two perfectly good units, half, of a power plant that has four units, as they call it, and you might see that from the road as four stacks, uh, which sometimes people think are emitting a lot of smoke. They'll drive by and go, ooh, look at that dirty coal plant, when in fact what is being released into the air at this point in time is, is predominantly steam, and uh, the Four Corners area, the American Lung Association, just uh, declared it one of the cleanest metropolitan areas in the country. So it's it's uh, it's scary when you think of the the oncoming regulations coming down the pike. Well, this is of course a haze regulation. It's not even uh, about health and uh, improving the health of New Mexicans or even surrounding states. It's all about allegedly being able to see better in our national parks, which is a fine goal, but we have to balance uh, aesthetic beauty uh, in the visual uh, climate with the economic climate, uh, the job creation, and uh, uh, the various, and of course, electricity prices. So it's uh, the environmentalists uh, seem to just be focused, well, they are focused, not seem to be, on only their issue. Anyone who stands in the way of their pristine environment is uh, is just someone who can't see uh, the benefit of that, and they are out to destroy them. Uh, so they really don't care if we have reliable electricity, if we have a modern economy. They seem to be uh, just monomaniacally focused on just the, the environmental aspects without looking at any other areas of the economy. And it's great to see the utility and uh, the coal mine uh, employees standing up in the four corners and finally being counted and heard because for years and years all we've ever heard from is the environmentalists. And they, they are very active and very well funded and they know when to file lawsuits and uh, they file them early and often. Uh, and it's time for the rest of us who especially in this case with the jobs at stake in the Four Corners area, it's time for uh, the rest of us to stand up and be counted. But uh, there's no doubt that the environmental groups have a lot of money and they've paid very well for uh, experts who can uh, you know, provide those lawsuits and uh, really throw a wrench in our economy. Yeah, you make a good point there, talking about that. You know, they don't they don't really look at the big picture. They have one single focus thing, and and they really want the entire 
Four Corners Power Plant, or excuse me, the San Juan Generating Station. There, there's a, another power plant literally across the street called the Four Corners uh, Generating Station, but we're talking today about the San Juan Generating Station. And they'd really like the whole plant shut down and uh, replace that, that lost energy uh, with renewables like wind and solar, which A, are more expensive, and B, are unreliable in that they're not 24-7, they're not dispatchable. And, uh, you know, you bring up that it's good to see PNM, the public utility company of New Mexico, finally kind of providing some pushback. But the sad thing is, and this is true nationally, is that the utility companies historically do not push back. I know when President Obama was first elected and he proposed the cap-and-trade program, the utility companies didn't didn't really squawk at the time. Uh, now they're starting to provide some pushback, but at the time, because they're, they're just going to raise the rates on the consumer. So they don't really care. In fact, I think they often like the increased rates. Is that what you find? Well, there's no doubt that PNN's hands are not clean in terms of the ever-rising uh, electricity rates in the state of New Mexico. They supported the renewable portfolio standard initially when it got uh, put into policy. And you're right, they are regulated monopolies, which, uh, you know, the environmentalists seem to think that they're some kind of radical free market advocates, that they're just out uh, to suck the last dollar from us, the ratepayer, uh, and they, they do hike money, but uh, they're also very much creatures of the uh, political system and the regulatory structure, and that enables them to not really uh, care so much how much they're charging for electricity uh, in a state like New Mexico. Now, of course, on the flip side, uh, if they keep raising electricity prices, uh, to the point where businesses don't want to locate there, and New Mexico's got its share of economic problems, uh, those electricity prices will further depress demand, and that does uh, cut to the bottom line of a company like P&M. But it's uh, uh, Rio Grande Foundation, when the initial Hayes uh, regulations were proposed a few years back, we advocated that Governor Martinez uh, sue the EPA and get out in front of this issue and really put a stop to it because it's just an overreach by that agency. And uh, unfortunately, I think you know the way politicians tend to work is that if there's a squeaky wheel, that's when they get the grease. And uh, when it comes to utilities in New Mexico, uh, P&M is the only publicly traded company, only stock traded company in the state of New Mexico, and uh, they just they're not going to push very hard for that kind of aggressive stance. So they, they're much more inclined to sit back, uh, charge higher prices if, if that's the decisions that are made in Santa Fe or Washington, D.C. Yeah, and then they just say, oh, well, that's the way, you know, that's what we have to do. That's the decision that EPA made us do this. Right. Yeah, they're very good at just passing through uh, bad policies. And uh, when, when the environmentalists... Uh, uh, claim that, oh, it's the Koch brothers or some other big uh, corporation. Well, uh, just because the corporation makes a lot of money doesn't mean they're uh, going to fight for the free market and limited government uh, side of things. And P&M is a great example of that. And uh, 
Other utilities have been more aggressive to an extent, but P&M is the biggest one in the state of New Mexico by far. So we've got just about a minute left. Is there anything that can be done on this at this point? Uh, can the PRC change anything, or are we stuck with these EPA regulations? Well, I would love to see Martinez in the wake of whatever PRC decision, if they come back and decide that this agreement is not acceptable, I think the Martinez administration needs to consider that lawsuit avenue again and really taking on the EPA uh, uh, in the court of law. And uh, if, if that's not the case, it's going to be very difficult. Um, but at the state level, we can certainly peel back some of the regulations. And then, you know, then it's Washington that's really the, the culprit and the, the villain here. And we can point to that and show how uh, they're negatively impacting us. But I, I think the states have a very strong uh, stance uh, and legal standing in court on, on this issue. Yeah, we're going to talk with someone in the final segment today more specifically about the, the, the national, the Obama's Clean Power Plan. But Paul Guessing from the Rio Grande Foundation based in Albuquerque, New Mexico, thanks for helping us uh, understand the local picture there in the state of New Mexico. Uh, thanks for joining me today on America's Voice for Energy. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. The United States Justice Foundation since 1979 has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. I'm Georgia author Doug Dahlgren. I'll be hosting a new program here on America's Web Radio. We call it The Prologue. Now, you may not yet be familiar with me or my work, and that's the point of the whole show. There are many talented writers out there that you haven't heard of yet. Now, a prologue is an introduction to a piece of literature or perhaps music, and its intention is to hook you into the story or that piece of music. 
In today's cluttered world of new authors and books, it can be costly and time-consuming to sample everything that's out there. That's where my new show can help. I'll introduce you to the author and their book in an hour-long discussion that just might interest you and entertain you. We hope long enough that you'll want to buy the writer's book. So join me, won't you, right here starting June 12th and continuing on Fridays after that at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, right here on America's Web Radio. That's the prologue with Doug Dahlgren. I look forward to meeting you. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to America's Voice for Energy. Wow, what a great discussion we've been having today about the clean power plan and its impact on the United States. But more specifically, we've been talking about what's been happening in New Mexico, where one rule has been in the process of being implemented for more than a decade. Realize this is just one rule at one power plant in one state, and we look at the complications that are expected from the clean power plan, as uh, Philip Wallace said, makes your head spin, and I, as I said to him in the first segment, I think that's really kind of an understatement, because this clean power plan has the potential to just really uh, cripple the economy, as Paul Guessing said in our last segment about the uh, regional visibility rule that we've been talking about in New Mexico is that has to do, uh, that has the potential to do to the economy of New Mexico, but more specifically, the economy of Farmington, New Mexico, and the Four Corners area. So to talk to us in this segment about that, we have... We have Ray Hagerman, the CEO of Four Corners Economic Development. So, Ray, welcome to America's Voice for Energy. Thanks for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me on, Marita. Uh, I think this is such an important issue. And, you know, I've had several people have reached out to me over the last uh, few weeks saying, can you do anything about uh, this Four Corners power plant? situation, the San Juan Generating Station, and uh, I finally had the time in my schedule to really devote the time that, and to studying this issue that it required for me to write a comprehensive piece on it, which ended up being really long, uh, much longer than what I, what I try to write just because of people's attention span, uh, because actually it takes less time to write a long piece than it does to write a short piece, so it's not the writing time, but it's people's attention span. So I tried to put together a piece that would um, get people's attention and really make their heads spin as well as they began to understand the complications of this. Uh, how long have you been fighting this issue, Ray? Well, we've been, uh, we've been dealing with the issue here for a number of years, but in terms of really fighting back, I'd say we've really only been active in doing that about the past 90 days. And what, what got your group activated on this issue in the last well, I 90 what, days? I, I think what really motivated us to uh, put names and faces and really to um, uh, make sure that we got out front with the uh, economic impacts was I think we all honestly felt like because the agreement had been reached among, you know, the EPA, the New Mexico Environmental Improvement Board, the governor's office, P&M, we all sort of assumed that things were going to go along uh, without a hitch. And I think once uh, 
we got to the PRC um, hearing phase, and after the hearings were closed and the PRC hearing examiner suggested that the commissioners uh, not approve the plan, so, so the recommendation was not to accept it, wow, that really hit us like a ton of bricks, and we realized we had to do something. Yeah, and that's kind of when I saw that news come out back uh, a few months ago, that was kind of when I got alerted to this issue as well, uh, because I guess like you, I'd assumed, okay, well, everybody's signed off, and we've been working on this for more than a decade. Uh, so how do you feel about it now? You, you, well, let me back up for a moment. What did you do to kind of get involved? What was well, your so, involvement? So what we decided to do is sort of take a page from the uh, – from the opposition playbook, and that is, you know, sure. uh, don't uh, don't overwhelm everybody with facts and figures and uh, the intellectual argument, which is, as you said, it makes your head spin. What we really need to do is put real fe- real people uh, that have real jobs that are affected, and really focus on what de- kind of devastation does it do to the community if this power plant were to close. And furthermore, how do we actually put people in front of uh, the commissioners and the affected parties? How do we show them that these are real people? And so what did you do? So what we did was uh, we immediately went out and uh, decided that we were going to form a group together. Um, We called it Real People, Real Jobs, NM. Uh, We set up a Facebook page. We set up a web page with information. Uh, with a petition that could be signed. Um, we gave all of the commissioners uh, contact information, encouraged everyone to call the PRC, email the PRC, write the PRC, and every time they had the opportunity to get in front of a commissioner to do so. So within a time frame of maybe 30 days, we generated over 5,000 petition signatures, which I hand-delivered to the PRC. We Wonderful. got a Facebook we got a Facebook page with over 4,000 likes on it. We had a lot of miners and utility workers putting pictures of themselves and their families and their kids and telling their stories and the whole nine yards. And uh, I actually had, when I hand-delivered those petition signatures, I had one of the PRC commissioners say, wow, do you do campaigns? <laughs> and I said, yeah, no. uh, well, I tell, you, I tell you this much, Commissioner, any friend of Farmington will always be a friend of Farmington. Well, you know, it is a, such an important issue, and, and it's, it's not. The PRC hasn't made their decision yet, so would you encourage people to continue engaging in this issue and, and sending the commissioners uh, comments? Yes, I, I, don't, I think it's still appropriate to, con- uh, to continue t- uh, telling the commissioners how we feel about this issue. And, uh, uh, we, in fact, we just uh, are now receiving postcards in as part of a mailer that we sent out. So we should have a couple of thousand postcards we're going to be shipping to the PRC pretty soon. But really the focus that we're trying to get people to uh, put their attention behind and, and bring to the attention of the commissioners is, you know, we can look at all the facts and figures. We can talk about rate paying. We can talk about all kinds of things. But the simple fact of the matter is if we shut down that power plant, it, it gets rid of 340 jobs at the power plant, it gets rid of 400 jobs at the mine. These are all good-paying jobs. And the, uh, the scientifically derived uh, indirect job factor is about 3.25. So at the end of the day, we're going to lose 3,200 jobs in the Farmington, New Mexico area, and that doubles our unemployment here. That puts us at about 12%. 
And we just can't, as a community, we cannot stand that kind of economic devastation. No, Farmington certainly can't. It's a small small community, and, and there's not really any way for you to make that, that job loss up. Well, and same thing uh, I was telling the uh, Albuquerque uh, City Council when they were uh, doing a hearing to, about withdrawing their support for the stipulation agreement, and I think I was one of the few lone voices, uh, you know, talking about, hey, what about the people, hey, what about the people, I brought it to Albuquerque's, you know, attention is, hey, we're a tenth of your size. Uh, we don't have an international airport. We don't have an Air Force base. We don't have national labs. You've got all these things. All we've got is some power plants and, and a high dependency on the oil and gas industry. So why would you take away what little we have just for whatever reason? You know, we, you, know you guys can complain about rates. Um, I think it's it's going to be shown and has been shown that that is the best available option for rate payers. Um, and why would you be so focused on getting rid of coal that you're willing to devastate the economy of some of your neighbors in the rest of New Mexico? Why would you do that? And, and what was their response? Uh, they just don't have an answer. You know, it's it's. Uh, I think you're dealing sometimes with people that um, they don't necessarily. Um, they're not reasonable about their approaches. I mean, for example, this plan shuts down 50% of the coal. If you're an environmentalist, what can you not like about that? Except that you've got to have all of it. Except you know. that you want it all closed, which is what the that's, environmentalists seem to want. That's exactly right. And what's been interesting is, is you know, the, the, the pushback has been, well, you know, dirty coal, dirty coal, dirty coal. Well, then we sort of point certain facts out to you. Well, then the argument shifts to ratepayer justice. Well, then you sort of call the bluff on that. Ratepayer rate justice? Wait, I haven't yeah. heard that term. Oh, yeah. That was, uh, that's that's a, a mantra now is, uh, you know, it's, it's about ratepayer justice. It's not about jobs in Farmington. Well, if, if you sort of point out the fact that it is the lowest cost option, then then you move on to and I've I've heard them. I I sat and watched and observed the, you know, the protest rallies, and then it shifts to anti-capitalism, and then it basically shifts to anarchy. So I mean, it's it's a group of people that are never going to be satisfied unless the world is a chaotic place. <laughs> yeah, you're you're right about that. I've watched, you know, the same argument, not just about the power plant, but really, as I stated in my column, it's really an anti-fossil fuel movement. And uh, when you look at what, you know, my organization, Energy Makes America Great, when you look at the what energy does for for us as a country, for us as individuals, lifestyle-wise, and, uh, you know, you look at how the rest of the world wants what we have, or the developing world wants what we have, you have to wonder what, what drives these people. Right, because what it, what it actually sets up for in, in, in this country is you, you're now setting up urban versus rural, you're setting, setting up white-collar versus blue-collar, you're setting up... Um, you know, one uh, generation versus the other. We don't need that kind of fragmentation in this country. We need people to unite behind affordable power. And that's certainly what you did uh, with with the people that you brought together to Albuquerque. Uh, you brought a diverse group of people together uniting behind uh, this one issue. What do you right. think we the What do you think the PRC is going to do? I, I think the PRC, honestly, uh, at least four out of the five commissioners, 
I think, really want to be reasonable about this, and I think they want to give P&M the time necessary, and I think they sort of have done that, uh, the time necessary to put together what they need to put together to, to make a strong case to the PRC. I don't think any one of those commissioners wants to see devastation in the four corners, and I think they will give P&M every opportunity to, uh, to get their ducks in a row, so to speak. And further, you know, it's incumbent upon PR, uh, P&M now to, uh, to do what they're asked, to deliver, uh, to deliver the agreements, and to, uh, to get this thing behind us, because I really do think the PRC commissioners want to see it happen. Yeah, and that's, that's, that's what my sense is and my sources tell me. And I do know that PNM is working very, very hard to get uh, everything together. But it's a challenge because they've got this, San, this plant, this San Juan generating station, has so many diverse little percentage owners that, that electricity has gone to. And in my column, I just mentioned two that I thought were kind of more interesting that people would never think of, such as the city of Anaheim and uh, the uh, Utah, something in Utah anyway. And trying to get all of these people on board by the deadline is going to be a challenge. Well, I think it is, but I think one of the things the PRC is willing to listen to is just show me what you have so far and then show me what steps more are necessary to make this a done deal. And I think that's the level of disclosure that P&M is going to have to come up with, and I think they will. And I, know, and I, I really believe the ownership group is working hard toward that. Yeah, that's my understanding as well. Well, Ray Hagerman, CEO of Four Corners Economic Development, you've certainly followed this story closer than I have, and I appreciate your uh, time with us today on America's Voice for Energy to help people understand uh, this issue and the, the economic impact, that it, the, the potential that it has. Well, Marina, thank you for having me on, and I thank you for your concerted interest in it. But here in uh, the Farmington area, it's economic life or death. Yeah, I, you made that clear. You're a great spokesman for it. Thanks for joining us today on America's Voice for Energy. We'll be right back. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome to the final segment of America's Voice for Energy. In this segment, I'm going to be talking with Terry Garrett, who's an attorney in private practice, and he specializes in energy law. He's also a former commissioner with the Missouri Public Service Commission involved in regulating the uh, electricity sector. And he and I have spoken before. I believe one of the first episodes of America's Voice for Energy featured uh, Terry, and we were talking then about the uh, clean power plan as we are today. And we're going to talk specifically about, uh, you know, some of the, what it's going to take to implement this plan and, and what the future of, of this plan is. So, Terry, welcome back to America's Voice for Energy. Thank you, Marita. It's good to be back with you again. You know, as I was going over the introdu- my introductory comments there, I, I think you might have been one of the uh, on the very first show because when I think about it, uh, I was in Atlanta last August uh, giving comment on the clean power plan uh, at one of the EPA so-called listening sessions, and uh, and my show this show started in late August, so it probably was, if not the first show, one of the very first shows I ever did. 
Well, uh, it, it, again, it's good to be back. And, of course, uh, the EPA's clean power plan uh, has been in the news for quite a while. So it is definitely uh, something uh, that folks really need to be concerned about. Yeah, you know, while this show airs on Thursday morning, I'm recording today on Tuesday afternoon, and literally minutes before uh, you and I connected here to record this segment, I received an email saying that the uh, carbon plan, I believe it said, I'm looking it up here as I'm, as I'm speaking, but saying that the carbon plan is on track for this summer, which says the climate rule is set for summer release, which for me was just like a knife in my heart because somehow I keep hoping something's going to happen to derail this this monstrosity. Yes, my understanding uh, is that uh, it has been submitted to the uh, Office of Management and Budget, uh, which is the final step in the process before it is uh, finally approved and the final rule is, uh, is issued, uh, which I understand is going to be sometime uh, in August. Well, fortunately, I wrote in my column this week that it's slated for approval or for release this summer, and obviously uh, we're right on the money on that one. Yes, that's right. Uh, they're moving, moving uh, right along to uh, finalize this rule and get it out. So what do you think? Is there any hope of derailing it? Uh, well, from the standpoint of any sort of administrative uh, solution to stop it, no. Uh, the Obama administration is determined to implement this. Uh, it uh, has, has been determined uh, ever since it uh, first promulgated the, uh, the initial rule. Uh, and it is clear that the EPA is going full speed ahead with this. Now, uh, certainly legal experts uh, who have looked at this plan have said that there are many legal problems with this. Uh, there are lawsuits already that have been filed uh, to challenge it in court, uh, and there will be, I'm sure, additional lawsuits filed once uh, the, uh, the final rule is uh, in place. So yeah, you certainly know, from a legal standpoint, it, 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 there will be challenges. Based on what, uh, I can't remember, you would know, was it Anthony, Anthony Scalia, Justice Anthony Scalia said last year uh, around what I wrote on it a year ago when the rule uh, was first announced, my understanding was that uh, the Supreme Court had in a different ruling. Not, there was nothing on this. Kind of an implication that, you know, this is an overreach and, and uh, you and Congress need to do something about it. Do you recall something along that line? Yes, it, it, it actually had to do with the EPA. Uh, and uh, basically the court ruled then that, uh, yeah, the EPA was, uh, was overreaching on, uh, on one of its rules. And, uh, uh, you know, this is nothing new, uh, especially for this administration. Uh, certainly the EPA and in other areas. Uh, overreaching has become, unfortunately, uh, fairly common. Yeah, and, and the, uh, this administration has been sm smacked down repeatedly from both the Supreme Court and other, other level uh, courts for their overreach. And so I guess I just I, I somehow 
I thought this was coming before the Supreme Court this session, but I guess that's not accurate, is it? No, that's uh, that's not. Uh, it's I, optimistic on my part. Yes. <laughs> yes, I wish it could be brought up a little earlier. It certainly would save everybody uh, a lot of a lot of effort and, and heartache. So, you know, what what do we do from here? What is what's the chances that you know this is this is going to obviously the EPA is moving forward, but as far as implementation, from what I told you know shared in my column this week about what has happened in New Mexico, that it's taken more than a decade and we still don't have an answer on one basically simple little rule at one power plant uh, in a little state and and the the clean power plan aims to really remake the entire electricity generation sector. You know, exactly it, just, right. it just seems crazy. It, 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 you're exactly right, and, and you set it out very well in, in your column. Uh, this plan is just very aggressive in its timeline, and the EPA basically shows that it does not understand the electricity industry uh, and the way it works. Uh, you have a great example uh, in New Mexico of, of trying to get a uh, generating station uh, online, and, and it's been over a decade, and uh, there's still lots of problems with the EPA and permitting uh, to get that done. Uh, utilities, uh, especially electric utilities, plan out very long range, up to 20 years, because they know it's going to take a long time. Once they decide they're going to, say, build a new generating station or build a new transmission line, that it's going to take years for that process to work out, uh, you know, to design it, to get permitting for it, to uh, construct it and actually get it online. You're talking a decade or more in many instances. So. Uh, when the EPA says we want, uh, you know, carbon reduced a certain amount by 2020 and then another certain amount by 2030, they're simply not being realistic. It's just not, uh, it's just not possible uh, uh, for the utility in, in the electric industry to, to get things done that quickly, especially when the EPA take so long to permit these projects. Yeah, do you think that there's any hope that Congress can can preempt this in any way? Well, certainly there is there is an act uh, that has been introduced uh, right now. Uh, it's called uh, the Affordable Reliability Energy Act, uh, and it's uh, a Senate bill. Uh, it's being sponsored by several senators, and basically – what it says is that, uh, among other things, governors can choose to opt out of this EPA plan if they determine that it will be detrimental to their state's economy. So certainly Congress is trying to do something about this. Uh, Senator Mitch McConnell has come out recently uh, and urged states to just say no to the EPA uh, basically because of all of the legal problems that he sees with this plan, uh, just don't play along with the EPA uh, and wait until the legal issues are settled out. So 
you know, there's lots of things. There's lots of things going on in Congress and with uh, with our elected officials to fight this. Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask you about Mitch McConnell and, and his plan, which I start my column uh, mentioning that and have a link to uh, a Wall Street Journal piece, I believe, on that. What would happen if, if um, you know, we've got, what, more than half of the states have Republican governors, and those are the ones who are going to be more inclined to buck the system, so to speak. What happens if they do all? If, if Let's say every state with a Republican governor says, uh, we're not going to play ball. What happens? Right, and, and by the way, there are, there's been a survey uh, in 32 states are opposed to this plan. And that's Republican and Democrat uh, both. So uh, there's a majority of states that that are opposed to this. Uh, Under the plan, what would happen is that uh, the EPA would force a federal implementation plan onto a state. But legally, that is questionable. Uh, What the EPA is doing here, uh, they're using this little-known uh, and little used area of the Clean uh, Clean Air Act to uh, try to get states to comply voluntarily. So, so what the EPA is doing is saying, states, you submit your own state implementation plans to us for approval on how you're going to meet the goals that we give you. Uh, and if states do that, then they are voluntarily giving up their jurisdiction over their energy policy in their state. Ah. And uh, it's like a contract. Then the EPA can say, if you're not doing it, they can impose penalties or they can tell them what to do. So the idea is that if it's dubious that that they can uh, regulate under under this uh, scheme, if the states just say no, then EPA really has no authority to do anything. So that's part of the motivation behind just saying no, is then it pushes the EPA to force you, and once the EPA is forcing you, you're now in some really questionable legal territory. That is correct. And if the states go ahead and comply and voluntarily say, EPA, you can regulate us, then there's not much a state can do. Interesting angle. I, I hadn't understood that, so I appreciate you clarifying the the legal angles on this plan. We've got about a minute left, Terry. What else do you want to make sure people understand about the clean power plan? Well, as, as you know, we, we're going to have the final rule here shortly, uh, and I expect that this rule is, gonna, is going to have the net effect of raising electricity prices for consumers and it is going to negatively impact reliability of the grid. So uh, folks need to understand that this is very important. Uh, electricity is a very important uh, part of our economy, uh, and they need to understand and talk to their elected officials about fighting back uh, and telling the EPA that this is not a good plan for America. And again, the, uh, how how do we fight back? How do the elected officials fight back? Vote for this this act that you've mentioned. Well, we we, we tell our elected officials, uh, governors especially, to uh, to say no to the EPA's uh, plan and not file a state plan. 
to get on board with a lot of the legal challenges that are going on. There are several states that are already filing lawsuits, and uh, I expect others to join. So uh, we just need to get our elected officials involved in fighting this. Wow. Jerry Garrett, thanks for joining us on America's Voice for Energy. The Clean Power Plan is really an important issue for people to be aware of, and I appreciate you enlightening us. Thanks for your time, and we'll be back next week with another episode of America's Voice for Energy.